0: Our scripture reading today will be Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Our text will be primarily verses 5 through 7, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of Isaiah 49. Hear now the holy and inspired word of God. Listen, O coastlands, to me. Take heed, you people, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother he has made mention of my name. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then he said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord, and my work is with my God. And now, the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says... It is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemed of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, The kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May the Lord Himself add His blessing to it. The servant brings salvation. Two weeks ago, we looked at the coming Messiah, at Jesus in His divinity as the great I Am of the burning bush, the God from all eternity who was active in creation and who from all eternity covenanted with the Father and the Son to redeem a people. This Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is God Himself, the second person of the Trinity, holy, divine, eternal, without beginning and without end. Then last week, from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we looked at this same Jesus as perfect man, the one who is born of the Virgin, the Emmanuel, God with us, who is sent to to be born to be one of us, so that in his life of obedience, he could obey the law of God on our behalf. In his sacrificial death, he could suffer the judgment and hell of God on our behalf. Therefore, as the perfect God of the great I Am, and the perfect man, God with us, the Son of the Virgin, Coming together in Christ Jesus, we have that perfect mediator that we need. The one who can and has made reconciliation with God for us. And today, as we march yet closer to the celebration of the birth of Christ, we'll look at this Messiah, this Jesus, as the servant The humble servant of God who was sent to be humiliated, to redeem for himself a people. That is you and I, the church. So I'd like to consider this under three headings. Jesus, prepared and ordained to serve. Jesus, secondly, prepared and ordained to save. And finally, Jesus prepared and ordained to reign supreme. To serve, to save, and to reign supreme. Jesus prepared and ordained to serve. We see this primarily in the fifth verse. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, and to bring Jacob back to him. He was ordained and prepared to serve. We see a developing picture uh, of this coming Messiah. In, as in other messianic passages, there is an immediate and an ultimate fulfillment of this uh, prophecy that is before us here today. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 7 and it is evident here as well. Israel is firstly in view as that servant of Jehovah. We see this in verse 3, And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel. Isaiah likewise is is in view in these verses. But as the word picture develops into focus, we see the Messiah as the ultimate picture. We have have Israel, we have uh, Isaiah in, in the immediate and as we look through Isaiah and Israel, uh, like a lens on a fine binocular, we see coming into focus the promise of the Messiah. And that is that Messiah, that Jesus Christ, who is to be born, is the ultimate and the final and the perfect fulfillment of this text. But there's a development in, in the picture before us here today. Isaiah and Israel are shown here to be Frail servants of the Lord. They're servants, but they're broken and, and weak. They're charged with showing Jehovah's attributes to all the people. In the first verse, we see that they were ordained from before birth. Listen to me, O coastlands, and take heed, you people, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from before Israel was born. Israel was called to be a servant of the Lord. We're going to see this develop as it applies to our coming messiah, but but we see this already here: an early call and ordination from the Lord. He has called me from the womb, and he was equipped. Israel was equipped all likewise to serve God. We see this in the second verse: He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has hidden me. He's, he's made me ready. He has called me to be a servant. And He has prepared me to be a servant. We think of, of Moses. A man whom the Lord prepared, hid in the bulrushes, placed in, in Pharaoh's house, uh, established, gave, gave Jethro to be a father-in-law, so that he would be ultimately prepared for that labor which... He was called to from birth, ordained and equipped, and finally charged for a particular labor. In verse 3, he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. You are my servant to do a particular work. And the same pattern then as we look through the lens of Israel comes into focus as we look at our Lord. But it also has application to us. The same pattern which is, is laid out here for Israel and which, which points to the Lord does have an application to us. Office bearers, for example, are called to a, a role to an office. They're equipped. They are charged with a particular labor. They are ordained to a particular work. And that applies to each one of us in our own calling too, not just to office bearers. We each have a purpose and a calling in our lives, a calling which must glorify God in all things. He does not call us to a life of of disobedience, God calls us to a life of obedience, and He equips us to that labor. What He calls us to do, He equips us to do, and He demands that we do it with excellence. All of our lives, whatever the Lord has set before us to do, He has called us to that labor. He has equipped us. He has given us the skill set the mindset, the attitude to be able to do that. He says, do it to my honor and to my glory. Even as he is called to Israel and as he is demanded of his servant, Christ. You are my servant in whom I will be glorified. I have called you from out of your mother's womb. But as we see the ultimate fulfillment in, in Christ, we see the beauties of the glorious ultimate ramifications. We think of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the eternal God who was called from his mother's womb. In fact, he was formed in the womb by the Holy Spirit. What a glorious picture. Eternal God, active in all creation conceived in the virgin Mary by the Holy Ghost. The angel said to Mary, we read in Luke 1, verse 34, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That promise that we saw in the first verse. The Lord has called me from the womb. We see in Christ. Even when Mary met with Elizabeth, we see the response of John the Baptist. He leapt in the womb of his mother, in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord had called, ordained, and established Christ to His work, even in His Conception. And he was formed not only beautifully, supernaturally, but to a particular work. He had a particular calling in his birth, and that is to gather the redeemed of Israel. To bring Jacob back to him, our text says. What was the reason why Jesus would be conceived in the Virgin Mary? It is to bring together a redeemed people to Jehovah. We'll see as we work through that this is the glorious reason why we are here. We would not be gathered here as the redeemed of God were it not for that servant being formed in the womb of Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, called to a particular purpose, and that is to gather a redeemed people to bring Jacob back to me so that Israel would be gathered to him. What a glorious thing. In fact, this, so that Israel is gathered to him, might be better translated, as, as some do translate it, as, as an interrogative, as a question, a rhetorical question. Shall not Israel be gathered to him? Because that, that demands what is implied. He would bring Jacob Jacob back. Why? Because God Himself will gather Israel back. That is the thought. Because God's promises are certain. And so this Christ must come, this Messiah must come for the purpose of bringing Israel back to Him. This shows the eternal promises of God which are certain and they are sure. Sure. God promised to Abraham that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed, that his seed would be more numerous than the sands of the sea or the stars of the sky. And yet, Israel had walked away in so many ways. This Messiah, this servant, would come to gather Israel to him, to glorify Jehovah in fulfilling his will. We read of this in Colossians 2, such a beautiful, glorious description of of the finished work of our Lord. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. That He would be the the forefront. Why? Because it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness would dwell. And in Him to reconcile all things to Himself, serving as mediator, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. The glorious purpose of the Incarnation, to redeem a people, to call back those who had wandered far from Him. Israel had wandered from the promises, and we have wandered from the promises. And all of this He would do by the power of God. He would be equipped for the labor My God shall be my strength. is the last clause of verse 5. We consider the servant work of Jesus. We're reminded that Jesus fulfilled the decrees of God for a purpose. To save a purpose, a people. And He did it by the power of God Himself. Because he is God. Thus the work of Jesus is the work of God. And yet his calling is to return Jacob to the Lord. This Jesus does this as the true son of Jacob. As God, he fulfills the decrees of God. As the son of Jacob, he works for the good of the covenant people. He brings us back into fellowship with God. The work which Jesus had prepared and ordained to do, was the work of the perfect mediator between God and man. He was formed in his mother's womb for the purpose of calling, of returning a people to God. And he did it by the power of God Himself. Prepared and ordained to serve God. Well, secondly, we see that Jesus was prepared and ordained to save. We see this in the sixth verse. Indeed, he says, God, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. What is hinted at in verse 5 becomes clear in verse 6. That is, this Jesus will gather Israel to the Lord. Israel had abandoned the covenant which Jehovah had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A covenant which was renewed with Moses and with Joshua as they were brought out of Egypt and as they were brought into the promised land. It was made particular with David when he promised that your son would sit upon the throne for all generations And with Solomon as he was equipped to establish the temple. All of these promises had been met. But now Israel had been sent into exile. They had witnessed the glory of God. They had been recipients of His covenant promises. They had known uh, of His, His works. And yet they followed after the gods of the wicked kings. And after the pagan nations that surrounded them. And they had forsaken the God who had made covenant with them. And God had sent them into exile. And that's where we are in Isaiah. But what would this Messiah do? He was restoring the preserved ones of Israel. God sent them into exile, but not forever. And not to be abandoned. During Jesus' ministry, the Jews largely were looking for a mere physical restoration. They wanted a king who would come and and throw off Herod, who would put off the Roman Empire. They wanted one who would lead them to establish them once again as as the mighty Israel as it was under King David. Yet the promised Messiah was not to bring a mere earthly peace that was too small. It is a sm- too small a thing that you should be my servant. And it was too small a thing that he would be merely an earthly king. Earthly comfort only brings temporary contentment. We even see that in, in our nation. As life gets easy, the people become content. And we wander away from from that hearty, full-blown submission to God. A contentment which normally ignores and marginalizes the God who who gives us true rest. No, Jesus, the great God-man, the mediator who was sent to restore Israel, was not to restore Israel to an earthly kingdom, but to a true union with God. A deep, rich, rich, an abiding union with God. A union founded in the perfect obedience and sacrifice of our Lord. A union which found extensive resistance during the earthly ministry of our Lord. They didn't desire that. They didn't desire a changed heart. They desired a changed country. And it's a union of peace which is scoffed at today as well. And yet, Jesus did establish his church. He did conquer all of his and our enemies. He did prepare his disciples to spread the gospel after his resurrection. And he did save a people. He did not establish Jerusalem as an earthly kingdom. He established heaven as a heavenly and an eternal kingdom. He restored a people. He did bring Jacob back to him. And in restoring Israel, this is said, this is too small. All of the works of God expand and become greater with the coming of Christ. God had made covenant with Abraham and with his seed after him. But Isaiah says, this is too small. It's not just Israel that I will restore, but I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It becomes greater. The promise is no longer to a a covenant nation, but now it is to a covenant people throughout the length and breadth of this world. This Christ was ordained to save many. You recall the Great Commission as Jesus' earthly ministry was completed. He had suffered the curse of the cross. He had been raised from the dead. And now He was ascending into heaven. He commissions His church by His disciples to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. Because it's too small a thing that this would be restricted to just one nation. The coming of Christ, all things become greater. Salvation is no longer just of the physical sons of Abraham, but it is to the spiritual seed. Galatians 3, Paul fleshes this out. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, to you... And to your seed, who is Christ. And then in verse 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And you are heirs according to the promise. It doesn't matter which ethnicity of blood is running through your veins. This Messiah was come to shine the light of the gospel to all nations. To make salvation for us. What a glorious privilege we enjoy in Christ as we have been given that gift of life eternal when we are united to Him by true faith. Jew and Gentile. From the darkest regions to those yet unexplored and to the most civilized. It matters not. The gospel goes out. And what a great calling then we have in Christ. Since that promise has come even to us, we also are to show that blessing to those who are not yet united to Him and do not yet know the comforts of life with our Lord. We have enjoyed the glorious promises. We have enjoyed the blessings of union And because this Christ has come to shed light into all the world and even to the Gentiles, we're called to be reflectors of that light and to be used by God in that purpose. Finally, Jesus prepared and ordained to reign supreme. This servant of salvation is now shown in the final verse to be the King of Kings. The one who was humiliated to become man is shown to reign over all people. We see this in the 7th verse. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer, Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to Him whom man despises, to Him whom the nations abhor, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship. To the servant, to the one who has served us, who has redeemed us, to the, the one whom the people despise, who spit upon him and scoffed at him as he was led even to the cross. We're told the kings shall see and arise. The princes shall also worship. This servant who brings salvation is the king. Jesus voluntarily humbled himself to be made man and yet he is still God and as God he does reign supreme. Stephen upon his death looked up and he saw Christ, Jesus, still man. Yet God, sitting at the right hand, standing at the right hand of the Father. Your salvation is ultimately so that you and I, his church, can glorify God in all things. He has been despised by man. He was despised in his earthly ministry. He's, his reign was mocked as Herod believed that he could kill the newborn king before he even began. His reign was mocked as Satan's pride sought to, to bring him low in the temptations he was scorned, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was scoffed at, he was spit upon for you, for me, for his church. And he's still mocked today. With every ungodly law that is passed, with every ungodly judgment that is, is rendered from a court, with every despising of his law by you and I, With every coarse joke and with every vulgar jest, he is mocked yet today. But he is not mocked with impunity. Judgment is often not immediate, but it is always certain. Those gambling for his garments upon Golgotha were stopped short and confessed truly this is the Son of God. Not only the faithful submit to the king, but so do his enemies. They will not submit to Christ as Savior, but they will certainly bow to him as sovereign. The second psalm speaks of this beautifully, poetically. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. But blessed are those who put their trust in Him. The enemies will submit the children will submit with joy. Jesus, this Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. That glorious last clause of our text. And He has chosen you. What comfort that brings to you, His people. He has chosen you. You have had your heart softened so that you cling to Him in true faith. But why? Because He has set His love upon you. Because He has called your name from all eternity. Because He has chosen you. Jesus, the servant of God, has been sent to redeem Israel. To redeem a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And He's chosen me. He's chosen you. We were not deserving of it. We have made ourselves enemies of Him. But He has brought back His people and brought us back not to the garden where He's called us friends, but back to a far more glorious inheritance where He no longer calls us mere friends, but He calls us Sons and daughters of the Most High. He has brought us into His very family. We, the church, must then sound that clarion sound of joy. Christ the Lord has been sent to redeem a people. To make us His children. All those who call upon Him in true faith are comforted in the finished work of this babe who was born in Bethlehem. This child whom the nations have rejected has said, You are mine. I have chosen you. And I have redeemed you. And I have perfected you. And I shall glorify you. The humility of this servant is shown in his finished work as he reigns as our King. Amen. Please rise for our prayer of application, which will then conclude with the Lord's prayer. Lord our God, you have been with us and you have guided us. You have fed us and nourished us. Lord, you have sanctified your worship and we praise you for that. We pray that uh, your name would always be glorified, that, that it would be lifted high upon our lips. That you would now, in due course, dismiss us with your blessing. We conclude this prayer using those words that Christ Himself taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom